Well, good morning, Potter's House people. Pastor Adam back here with you again, and we are here for another edition of the Bible and Brew. Today being June 25th, my, how the time is flying. And uh, here on this Thursday morning, this is day 177 of our Bible reading plan, and uh, hope that you have been enjoying these. I know that I certainly have. I hope that, uh, that you've been following along with your Bible reading plan as well. And uh, today we've got, uh, wow, we've got quite a story. And we are going to start uh, in 2 Kings chapter 10. Uh, I decided today to switch the Bible uh, uh, translation that I'm going to use. And we're gonna, I'm going to be reading out of the message translation only because uh, as you read it, it's, it has... Um, I think more of a storytelling quality to it. So, but follow along with any translation you like. Uh, the the uh, the story, the message, uh, the lessons that we learn are still the same. So, uh, let's begin with Second Kings chapter ten. This story is all about Jehu, and there's one powerful lesson that I think we can learn from it. So, uh, follow along as we read today. Uh, Ahab. Now remember who Ahab is. He is the, the recently departed uh, king of Israel who was married to Jezebel and had led the nation in uh, idol worship and uh, killed the prophets and a whole lot of bad stuff happened under King Ahab. And so God has raised, raised up uh, this man Jehu uh, in his place in order to um, cleanse the land from this idolatry. And certainly he makes a great attempt to do so in this chapter. Good morning, Mom and Taya. Thank you for joining us. Come on for the ride. Uh, let's let's get as many people on this uh, Bible and brew as we can. Would you help me share it? We'd appreciate that. All right, so 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. So Ahab had 70 sons living in Samaria. Jehu wrote letters addressed to the officers of Jezreel the city elders and those in charge of Ahab's sons, and posted them to Samaria. And the letters read, This letter is fair warning. You are in charge of your master's children, chariots, horses, fortifications, and weapons. Pick the best and most capable of your master's sons and put him on the throne. Prepare to fight for your master's position. So Jehu is giving, him, giving uh, everyone in the land a fair warning that uh, there's a battle coming, and he's going to expect them to fight. They were absolutely terrified at the letter, usually the case. Uh, they said, two kings have already been wiped out by him. What hope do we have? So they sent the warden of the palace, mayor of the city, the elders, and the guardians to Jehu with this message. We are your servants. Whatever you say, we will do. We're not making anyone king here. You're in charge. Do what you think is best. Then, verse 6, Jehu wrote a second letter. If you are on my side and you are willing to follow my orders, here's what you do. Decapitate the sons of your master and bring the heads to me by this time tomorrow in Jezreel. This guy's serious. The king's sons numbered 70. The leaders of the city had taken responsibility for them. And when they got the letter, they took the king's sons and killed all 70. Now that's what you call overthrowing the throne. Then they put the heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu and Jezreel. And a report, uh, messenger reported to Jehu, they've delivered the heads of the king's sons. Uh, 
He said stack them into two piles at the city gate until morning. This is one of those stories that you know would, would do well uh, as a uh, Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> um, so in the morning, Jehu came out, stood before the people, and addressed them formally. He said, do you realize that this very day you are participants in God's righteous workings? True, I am the one who conspired against my master and assassinated him, but who do you suppose is responsible for this pile of skulls? Know this for certain, not a single syllable that God spoke in judgment on the family of Ahab is canceled. You are seeing it with your own eyes. God doing what through Elijah he said he'd do. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy that's been made uh, years before this, that uh, because of the idolatry of, of Ahab and Jezebel, that there would come a great price tag along with it. So verse 11, Then Jehu proceeded to kill everyone who had anything to do with Ahab's family in Jezreel. Leaders, friends, priests. He wiped out the entire lot. That done, he brushed himself off and set out for Samaria. Along the way at Beth Echid of the shepherds, he met up with some relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah. So Jehu said, Who are you? They said, we are relatives of Ahaziah, and we've come down to a reunion of the royal family. Grab them, ordered Jehu. They were taken and then massacred at the well of beth 42 of them, no survivors. He went on from there and came upon Jehonadab, the Rechabite, who was on his way to greet, meet him. Greeting him, he said, are we together and of one mind in this? Jehonadab said, we are, count on me. Then give me your hand, Jehu, said Jehu. They shook hands on it, and Jehonadab stepped up into the chariot with Jehu. Come along with me, said Jehu, and witness my zeal for God. Together they proceeded in the chariot. So what are we seeing here from Jehu? Uh, we are seeing a very polarizing figure. Basically, you're either with me or you're against me. In the time of great um, moral fortitude, in the time where things are being uh, made clear that, that, uh, you know, that the nation is turning away from God, it is really important to have somebody like Jehu who has very, uh, very, um, what do you say? He's, he's, he's a polarizing figure. It, he's either, you're either for me or you're against me. There's a lack of gray area. Things are very black and white with Jehu, and that's because that's what's necessary in order to bring about the reforms to the nation of Israel. So you see that, uh, so anybody connected to Ahab, the sons of Ahab, he's going to ensure that there's not going to be a rebellion, and he does that by ordering them all to be executed and having their heads sent to him. Um, he, he meets another person along the road, relatives of Ahaziah. And he says, uh, uh, grab these guys too. They're not on our side. But then we see this guy, Jehonadab, and he gives him the opportunity either to uh, align or to rebel. And when he aligns, isn't it interesting? He stepped up into the chariot with Jehu. Can I tell you that this is, um, this is a broader metaphor for what it's like eventually uh, how God deals with us, isn't it? <laughs> because there is no darkness in the Lord. There is no shadow of turning in him. Uh, we know that God is very, very patient with us, that he allows us an entire lifetime, drawing us to himself. 
um, sending the Holy Spirit to deal with our conscience. And yet, in the end, we know that God will ultimately divide the sheep from the goats, won't he? Those who turn away from God, there is a bitter and uh, a tragic end to them as they are judged for all eternity in the, the pits of hell, not designed for human beings, designed for rebellious angels. And yet, when, when people commit the same sin as Lucifer, and that is to think that they are God, uh, that is the ultimate end of that road. Uh, however, for those who will align with the Lord and follow the Lord, people like Jehonadab, it is an experience that will raise you up out of your sin, out of your poverty, out of your uh, confusion. And that's what happens with Jehonadab. He is lifted up into the very chariot with Jehu. And those of us who have turned to the Lord, those of us who have, um, who have given our lives to him, who've taken up our cross to follow him, the Bible says that we will, if we are crucified with him, then we will also be raised with him. And so here's this amazing Bible truth that we become co-inheritors with Christ through the salvation. And so not only does God not judge us based on our actions, thank God for that, that's mercy, but God also shows us incredible grace. Grace is when you receive favor that you did not earn. And that's what's shown here in this story. Jehu shows not only mercy to Jehonadab, he probably could have killed him if he, if he thought that that was right, uh, but he doesn't. He, uh, when he aligns, Jehonadab is shown grace, the, the incredible opportunity to step up into the chariot and to align with him. That's an incredible thing. All right, so uh, uh, one last story here from this chapter. Uh, Come along with me, said Jehu. Oh, yeah, we saw that. Verse 17. When they arrived in Samaria, Jehu massacred everyone left in Samaria who was in any way connected with Ahab, a mass execution, just as God had told Elijah. So, uh, you know, don't let, don't let your uh, bleeding heart 20th, 21st century uh, mind blame Jehu for all of the blood that's spilled in this story. This is something that is foretold, and Jehu is simply the one that is executing God's will and God's word that has been spoken through Elijah years before. Next, Jehu got all the people together. Oh, this is something. This is something. Verse 18, Jehu got all the people together and addressed them. Ahab served Baal small time. Jehu will serve him big time. This is the message now that he's putting out to the people. He said, get all of the prophets of Baal here. Everyone who served him, all of his priests, get everyone here. Don't leave anyone out. I have a great sacrifice to offer Baal. If you show up, won't you live to tell about it? And Jehu was lying, of course. He planned to destroy all the worshippers of Baal. Now, this is really interesting here uh, that, that Jehu is setting them up. He's baiting the trap for all of the Baal worshippers left in the land. And so Jehu ordered, verse 20, make preparation for a holy convocation to Baal. They did that. They posted the date. Jehu then summoned everyone in Israel. They came in droves, every worshiper of Baal in the country. 
Nobody stayed home. They came and packed the temple of Baal to capacity. Jehu directed the keeper of the wardrobe, get robes. Wow, this, this is elaborate, this hoax. He brought out robes, and Jehu and Jonadab, the Rechabite, now entered the temple of Baal. And he, they said, double check. Make sure there are no worshipers of God, of the Lord, Jehovah, in here. Only Baal worshipers allowed. They probably should have seen this coming. And when they launched the worship, making sacrifices and burnt offerings. Meanwhile, Jehu had stationed 80 men outside with orders. Don't let a single person escape. If you do, it's your life for his life. And when Jehu had finished with the sacrificial solemnities, he signaled to the officers and guards, Enter and kill no survivors. And the bloody slaughter began. The officers and guards threw corpses outside and cleared the way. Uh, this is one, of those, one, one more of those beautiful scriptures uh, that we don't quilt on pillows or put on bumper stickers. <laughs> and, uh, and they hauled the sacred phallic stone from the temple of Baal and pulverized it. They smashed the Baal altars and tore down the Baal temple, and it's been a public toilet ever since. What a story. So Jehu, uh, what a uh, polarizing figure. But the lesson that I would like to, to, for us all to take away from this story today is the lesson that things can change a lot faster than we think they can. So the reason I say that is because if you were a good Jewish person who was resisting idols and who was paying your tithe and who was following the laws of Moses and uh, remaining faithful to God, if you were one of those kinds of Jews living in Israel during the time of Ahab and Jezreel, uh, and um, Jezebel, rather, you would probably look around at the world around you, at the nation, at the people, at the leadership, and you would say, what is going on with my country? What is going on with all these people? Why is everyone bowing their knee to Baal, this false, idolatrous God? Why, why is it that, you know, that God is allowing this? And, and you, you might even begin to lose hope in your nation as you look around and see that, man, there are, there's a lot of bad stuff happening around me, right? Even to the point that some people um, are practicing blood sacrifices to this false God. And, and, you know, you might even try to speak out against it from time to time and people would shout you down and and you would be persecuted for your faith in the true and living God. And you would think to yourself, could Israel ever change back to what it's supposed to be? What this shows us, this chapter shows us that reforms are very hard. They're very bloody. They're sacrificial. But they are possible. And they are possible to happen very quickly. So as we are here in the year 2020, you know, maybe we have the same kind of feeling toward our world today. Those of us who are true believers and true Christians and Christ followers and disciples of the Lord, we look around at our world, especially in 2020, the craziest year that has ever occurred in my lifetime, and we think, gosh, what is going on? People are putting their trust in socialism. People are establishing autonomous zones in Seattle. People are rioting and looting and burning down, you know, uh, stores and and uh, uh, saying defund the police. And by the way, all the churches are silent. It seems uh, 
that, that they are powerless to, to come against what's happening. And uh, man, it's, it's very easy for us to lose hope, isn't it? In the midst of all this and say, God, could, could this ever change? Could America ever experience revival again? The answer is yes. The answer is that it can actually happen a lot faster than we think it can. With the correct leadership and with the proper figure leading us, uh, we can see incredible changes in our cities, in our nations, in our churches, in our families, and it can happen a lot faster than we think. So Jehu draws in all of the former worshipers of Baal. He kind of tricks them, doesn't he? He sets a trap. And it's a trap. And he brings them all into this one place to worship Baal together. And that way he knows that he's got the right, uh, the right group of people that he wants to destroy. And so what's hap- what happens is with Ahab out of the picture, now Jezebel's out of the picture. Now all of their sons, their closest disciples are out of the picture. And finally, in this chapter, we read that all of the pagan um, priests of this religion, now they are out of the picture. And this, once this occurs, this leaves open a wide gap for revival in the nation to occur. And so, um, and so unfortunately, with all of these great things that Jehu did, the story does not actually end very well for him uh, because, uh, verse 29, <laughs> I wish I could say that, you know, Jehu had a perfect record of obedience to God, but guess what? He's human too. And uh, verse 29, for all that, Jehu did not turn back from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, the sins that had dragged Israel into the life of sin, golden calves in Bethel and Dan stayed. And God commanded Jehu, he said, you did well to do what I saw was best. You did what I ordered against the family of Ahab as your as a reward your sons will occupy the throne of Israel for four generations but even then Jehu was not careful to walk in God's ways and honor the God of Israel from an undivided heart he didn't turn back from the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat who led Israel into a life of sin what a terrible ending to a great story is that uh, Jeroboam, uh, or Jehu rather, Jehu had his his one idol that he really hated and did so much to rid the nation from, and that was uh, the Baal worship. But he didn't finish the job. He didn't serve the Lord with an undivided heart. His heart was divided. And I preached a whole message about the divided heart of Jehu. Uh, You can go back and take a look at it. So uh, the lesson from that is that God looks at us and he desires an undivided heart. He desires for us to have a pure and singular focused heart that focuses on the will of God. Don't let your heart be divided today. As you go about your business and work your job and do the things that, uh, that we are supposed to do, let me just encourage you today. Uh, keep your focus singularly placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will help you. So while we can learn a lot of good things from Jehu, we can learn from the good things and also from the mistakes that were made. All right, so jumping to our um, our New Testament reading, we are in the book of Acts. And this morning in the book of Acts chapter 
17. And we have here uh, stories of Paul's missionary journeys. And uh, I think I'm actually going to go ahead and let you read this. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of information here about locations and where they're going. Uh, not to say that this is a, a skippable <laughs> chapter, but uh, we haven't uh, read together any of the Psalms for a little while, so I'd like to jump into the Psalm reading for today. And that is Psalm 144. Again, a David Psalm. Oh, this is such an amazing uh, scripture. So, Psalm 144, a Psalm of David. When he said, blessed be God, my mountain, who trains me to fight fair and well. He's the bedrock on which I stand, the castle in which I live, my rescuing knight, the high crag where I run for dear life, while he lays my enemies low. I wonder why you care, God. Why do you bother with us at all? All we are is a puff of air. We're like shadows in a campfire. Step down out of heaven, God, ignite volcanoes in the hearts of the mountains, hurl your lightning in every direction, shoot your arrows this way and that, reach all the way from sky to sea, pull me out of the ocean of hate, out of the grip of those barbarians who lie through their teeth, who shake your hand, then knife you in the back. Oh God, let me sing a new song to you, let me play it on a twelve-string guitar, a song to the God who saved the king the God who rescued David, his servant. Rescue me from the enemy's sword. Release me from the grip of those barbarians who lie through their teeth. Shake your hand and then knife you in the back. A repeated verse. Verse 12. Make our sons in their prime like sturdy oak trees, our daughters as shapely and bright as fields of wildflowers. Uh, isn't it interesting that even David recognizes that there is a vast difference between young men and young women. Young men ought to be sturdy, trustworthy, foundation like, uh, like a tree planted in the ground. And daughters being shapely and bright as fields of wildflowers. So the, for, for daughters, his prayer is that they would be beautiful and that they would be, uh, that they would be filled with expression, that they would uh, bring pleasantness to life. And that's okay. That's okay to have differences between boys and girls, between sons and daughters. That is okay. In fact, that's how God designed us. Fill our barns with great harvest. Fill our fields with huge flocks. Protect us from invasion and exile. Eliminate the crime in our streets. How relevant is this prayer today? How blessed the people who have all this. How blessed the people who have God for their God. What a great psalm. Uh, that we should be praying for ourselves today. I would encourage you to go back through this and use this psalm as a as a pattern for prayer in your life today. It would be a really great prayer to pray. And for those of us who are praying and fasting this week in the potter's house, uh, it would be a great opportunity for you and I to pray together. And finally, uh, we've got Proverbs chapter 17, verses 27 and 28, which says, the The one who knows much says little. An understanding person remains calm. Even dunces who keep quiet are thought to be wise. As long as they keep their mouths shut, they're smart. 
Oh yes, we love this scripture, don't we? <laughs> the multitude of words, there is, a, there is a vast amount of sin. So let us choose our words carefully. You can appear to be wise just by keeping your mouth closed. And if you have the choice between speaking or not speaking, uh, the wise choice is many times not to speak. But that doesn't mean that you should never speak. There are times that you need to speak up about injustice around you. And so uh, we want to go ahead and close out this edition of Bible and Brew. I can't believe this uh, brew has been sitting in front of me the whole time without taking a drink. I want to encourage you to share this video. If you know somebody who loves the Bible or you want to encourage them in their love for the Bible, uh, let's share this video. Let's uh, get the word out. God's word is true. It's relevant. It's alive for our lives today. And uh, so let's serve the Lord. Again, if you, uh, if you uh, prefer to listen to Bible and Brew as an audio format podcast, uh, we are making that available usually just a few minutes after we post the video on Facebook. So God bless you guys. Um, uh, and we're going to have a great Thursday for the Lord. Going to have a good weekend coming up uh, for our church locally. We're going to be painting. So very, very exciting stuff on Saturday. God bless you all. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.